Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy! Dangerous Assignment, transcribed starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though, trouble, but... When I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to show that sometimes the only way you can win is to let the whole deal go up in smoke. Morning, Commissioner. You sent for me? Steve, do you know anything about high ally? Handball game Latin style, isn't it? Fast and furious and pretty rugged. Especially if you get conked with a ball, it'll kill you. Well, here's hoping you don't get conked, because you're going to attend the high ally games at... One of the arenas in Havana tonight. And you're going to bet on the team of Danielle and Scobo. Are they good? Haven't the faintest idea. We're only interested in the man who is going to take her bet. Look, what's this all about, Commissioner? For some time now, we've been trying to crack down on a smuggling ring operating out of Havana, running a regular shuttle between Florida and Cuba. What are they running? You name it. Everything in the book, including illegal entry now and then. We finally got a lead on the organization, Steve, from someone working on the inside. That the boy I'm to contact? The one who's going to take my bet? Right. He'll be at the Fronton Palace, window three. You place your bet, and when you open your wallet, let him have a glance at your credentials. He'll take it from there. Get whatever information you can from him. Track down that organization and smash it. Well, that's it, Steve. You've got your assignment. Good luck. National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. A sufficient supply of blood and blood plasma to save the lives of our wounded soldiers in Korea continues to be of the utmost importance. Now, the reserve is still at a critically low ebb. And to give our wounded GIs the blood they must have to save their lives and speed recovery, a minimum of 300,000 pints a month is absolutely essential. Whole blood and blood plasma are the one treatment for which medical skill cannot provide a substitute. There is no sensation at all to the donor except the good feeling of knowing some wounded soldier will be thankful all his life for what the blood donor is giving. So remember, make an appointment at once with your nearest Red Cross Blood Center. Sure, I've got my assignment. Get down to Havana, bet a couple of bucks on a team of highlight players and hope it pays off with the information we need to nail a ring of smugglers operating between Cuba and the United States. 
It's late afternoon when my plane sets down in Havana. I check in at my hotel, and that night, I wander over to the front and palace, a large indoor arena used for highlight games. Their teams on the floor are going at it hot and heavy, and the crowd is building steam. I watch them for a while, and then I ease over to the window number three to place my bet. Si, senor. I'll put a five spot on Danielli and Scobo. Si. Got quite a crowd here tonight. Tonight and every night, senor. Ayala is a very popular spot in Havana. Here you are. Thanks. Here's your five. Gracias, senor. There is an alley in back of the building. I will be waiting in my car. Half an hour, senor Micho. I'll be there. seat and watch the players until the half hour is up. Then I ease around to the alley in the back. Spot the ticket seller sitting in a parked car close by. He doesn't answer when I come up. I reach in and he topples over on the steering wheel. for the past two years in Francisco Rodas, no police record. That's all we have on the dead man, huh, Lieutenant? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, you say he was involved with the smuggling ring, Senor Mitchell? So we were led to believe he was going to fill us in on it. Only somebody with a knife got to him first. Someone obviously from the organization. They must have known he was going to talk. Yeah. Where was Rodas staying? According to his identification card, uh, 36 Paseo de Baracoa. Let's go over and shake it down. Lieutenant and I hustle over to the dead man's apartment, spend a good part of the night giving it a going over. Nothing. The next morning, he isn't alone when I walk into his office. This is Jose Diego, a dock worker. Is senor. Hi. There was a story in the morning's paper of the murder back at the fronton last night, senor Mitchell. Jose read about it and came straight to police headquarters. Oh? Jose, uh, tell senor Mitchell what you have just told me. Eh, uh, si, si. Uh, last night, senor, I was at the fronton to the games, you know. A little after 10 o'clock, I left the arena. Uh, I had promised my wife I would be home early. Go on. As I walked past the alley entrance in back of the building, uh, a man come running out. We collided. He continued to run, but as he passed under the street light, I see his face. You recognized him? Si, si. It was Senor Carmody. Carmody? An American. He has lived in Havana a good many years. You see, myself, I have never met him, but I have seen him many times, Senor. Uh, he's well-known here. A, uh, shall we say, a, a sportsman, Senor Mitchell. He has a fondness for high-speed automobiles and motorboats. Oh? Also, he owns an airplane and a yacht. Does he? Well, that sounds very interesting, Lieutenant. Yeah, very interesting. I suggest we pay a call on Senor Carmody. I second the motion. Oh, by the way, you mentioned you had placed a bet at the fronton on Danielle and Scobo. That's right. Don't tell me they that... They lost. Carmody's place is a low, rambling ranch house at the edge of town. He greets us at the door wearing a black silk dressing gown and a white muffler. He's carrying a tall glass of tomato juice and an obvious hangover. We follow him inside. Well, I'd like to have you meet an old friend, Ralph Pawson. Morning, gentlemen. Mr. Mitchell, Lieutenant Moreno. Lieutenant? Police department. Oh. Don't ask me what this is all about, Ralph. I wouldn't know. Uh, sit down, gents. Thank you. And let's get on with it. My mood is not getting any better. I'd just like to ask you a few questions, Carmody. Sure. Where were you last night? Last night? (laughs) 
Brother, a lot of places, Mitchell. So they tell me. Go anywhere near the front and palace, say around 10 o'clock? The front, though? No. No, I don't think so. Look, what's this all about? Murder. Murder? A man named Francisco Rodas was murdered in the alley behind the building a few minutes after 10 o'clock. Hey, there was something about that in the morning paper. Say, what's this got to do with me? Someone saw you running out of that alley shortly after the crime was committed. What? Now, see here, Mitchell. Are you accusing him? I just want to know what Carmody was doing there. He was with me. We had dinner at the yacht club. Yeah, that's right. Fill in the time. Well, we met at the club around 7. You can check with the waiters. They'll tell you. What time did you leave? Oh, around 10.30. Can I check that with the waiters, too? Well, portion? Look, uh... Wait a minute, Ralph. No need to stick your neck out on my account. What he says is true, Mitchell. We had dinner together at the club, but I left early. How early? A little before 9.30. Ralph had a phone call to make. I remember that much. Not too much more, I'm afraid. Have a rough night? Yeah. While I was waiting for Ralph, I spotted some friends at the bar. I went over, had another couple of drinks, and the next thing I knew, I was outside. Go on. Well, there's not much more to tell. I remember walking down the street, the Avenida Ruiz. All sort of vague after that. I finally got home around here about midnight. Hey, this dead man, what was his name? Uh, Rodas. Francisco Rodas. Never heard of him. What'd he do? He was employed at the fronton, senor. Still doesn't register, Lieutenant. Perhaps it will, senor, after you have taken a ride with us to police headquarters. Come along. take Carmody down to the brig. The witness, Jose Diego, positively identifies Carmody as the man he saw running away from the scene of the crime in the local law books Carmody on suspicion of murder. A few minutes later, friend Pawson shows up with a lawyer in tow. The lawyer goes in to see Carmody, and Pawson tags after me as I walk out of police headquarters. I spend the next couple of hours with him as he fills me in on Carmody and the rest of the afternoon checking on names and addresses he's given me. It all adds up to a big nothing. Late in the day, I wind up on the Avenida Ruiz near the Yacht Club. I've got a copy of the morning newspaper with me, Carmody's picture on the front page. I show it around, peddlers, shopkeepers, bartenders. No one remembers seeing Carmody last night until I run into a cab driver several blocks down the street. This one, senor. Oh, see, see, I remember him. Oh, boy. Ten dollars American he give me. You sure this is the man? See, see. Could I forget $10? Where did you pick him up? Right here on this corner. What time? Oh, it was early, I think. How early? Just early. 9.30 or so? Si, si, it's possible 9.30. Where did you take him? To the Fronton Palace? Fronton? No, senor, no. I drive him to Sebastian's Casino. It's on the other side of town. Steve Mitchell, Lieutenant. I'm calling from Sebastian's Casino. See? Looks like maybe Carmody isn't our boy after all. What? Half a dozen employees of the casino remember seeing him here last night, including a couple of house cops who bounced him out of the joint for creating a disturbance. What time was he there, senor? He arrived a few minutes before 10, was given the bum's rush a half hour later. Which means he could not have been in the alley back of the fronton at the time of the murder. Right. Looks like we'll have to start all over, Lieutenant. You can start chewing your fingernails. I'll be over to join you. I hurry out of the casino, start down the narrow street, but I don't get very far. A car suddenly pulls away from the curb across the way. I duck, but not fast enough. 
If you want your child to have the best elementary schooling you can give him, won't you get a pencil and paper to take down the address I'm going to give you at the end of this message? Unless we start preparing now, in a few years, our public schools will be as behind the times as the little red schoolhouse. Because of the huge increase in our birth rate during and after the last war, it's estimated that by 1956, there will be some 7 million more children in elementary schools than there are now. We must start preparing at once. More equipment will be needed, textbooks, playgrounds, and above all, more elementary school teachers. Now, to help assure your child a proper education, join and work with local groups and school boards. And for free information about how people in other communities are improving their schools, write to this address, National Citizens Commission for Public Schools, 2 West 45th Street. That's National Citizens Commission for the Public Schools, 2 West 45th Street, New York, 19, New York. Now, back to Dangerous Assignment and Plan Don Levy as Steve Mitchell. So, you are all right? Huh? Oh, Lieutenant Moreno. Sure, I'm just dandy. Brother, my head. Yes, one. The doctor, as you see, has bandaged it. How'd they get here? A cab driver brought you in. What happened? I got shot at as I was leaving the casino. After you telephoned to me that Camari was in the clear? Yeah, he must be. All of those witnesses there couldn't have lied. They all swore Carmody was there at the time of the murder. I think we ought to have another talk with our obliging little witness, Jose Diego. Lieutenant Moreno, I swear to you, I'm telling the truth. Look, how could you have seen Carmody in the alley behind the front on Palace when half a dozen people swear he was in the casino at the time? Well, how do I know how such a thing could be? All I know is it was. Lieutenant Moreno speaking. What? But... Very well, send her in. Uh, that will be all for the present, Diego. You will wait in the next room. See? Si. What now? An American woman, a senora Henderson, insists on seeing me. She says it has to do with the matter we are investigating. Oh? Come in. Lieutenant Moreno? Yes. Uh, may I present Senor Mitchell? How do you do? Mrs. Henderson? What can I do for you, Senora? I'll be brief. My name is Barbara Henderson. I I'm from Miami. I arrived here in Havana two weeks ago looking for my husband. Oh? You see, he left me during the war. His name was Jim Henderson. We were married in Baltimore in January of 1944. I see. And you have reason to believe your husband is now here in Havana? Yesterday, I found out without a doubt that he's here. Look, Mrs. Henderson, this is all very interesting, but I don't quite see what it has to do with the case we're investigating right now. Just this. See this picture in the newspaper? The man you're holding here is a suspect? Sure. His name is Carmody. No, you're wrong, Mr. Mitchell. That's my husband, Jim Henderson. Lieutenant and I look at each other. All of a sudden, the whole case is busted wide open again. We have Carmody brought in from his cell. Mrs. Henderson promptly drapes herself on him. Jim, Jim. Hey, what is this? Oh, Jim, please. Why did you leave me? Look, what gives here? Who is she, Mitchell? Mrs. Henderson. And she says you're Mr. Henderson. What? Jim, don't do this to me. Look, I've never seen this dame before in my life. Why, oh, you... Hey! He's lying, Lieutenant. 
He is Jim Henderson. We were married in Baltimore in January 1944, and he deserted me. Yes, I can. I was in the Army in Europe in January 1944. I could have married this babe in Baltimore. You were in the Army, huh? I sure was. You can check that, Mitchell. Don't worry, Carmody. I will. Mrs. Henderson gives us the name of her hotel and leaves. We send Carmody back to his cell, and I get off a cable to Washington about him. Then... We send for Pawson, who promptly swears he was with Carmody in Europe during 1944. The three of us wait in Lieutenant Marino's office for a reply from Washington. Every time Pawson finishes a cigarette, he methodically rips open the paper, scatters the tobacco flakes in the ashtray, and crumples the paper into a tiny ball. Finally, Marino can't stand it anymore. Why do you do that? Nerves? That's uh, Army, isn't it, Pawson? Yeah, yeah. If you ever had a police at camp yard, you'd know why, Marino. The tobacco flakes mingle with the dust, and the crumpled up paper is a lot less noticeable than a cigarette butt on the ground. Very sensible. Yeah, comedy taught me that when we were in together. Hey, look, when are you guys going to lay off him? I told you we were in Europe together. How could he have married that woman? How could he have anything to do with any of this? Come in. Ah, the answer to your cable, Mitchell. Yeah. Well? Carmody was in Europe in January of 1944. Yeah, now are you satisfied? Yeah. Look, it's pretty obvious to me that this guy Henderson is the one you really want. Looks that way. Come on, Lieutenant. Let's check with Mrs. Henderson again, see if she can give us any further information on her husband. We check at Mrs. Henderson's hotel, but she's not in. The clerk expects her back momentarily, so we decide to wait in her room. A very mystifying case, Mitchell. Yeah. Either there is a guy named Henderson, and he's our man, or... Or what? I don't know. Something bothering me about this whole setup. What is it? Can't put my finger on it. I know what you mean. I wish Mrs. Henderson would show up. It has only been a few minutes. A cigarette? Thanks. You know, this whole deal has been one big merry-go-round. Cost us a lot of time, Moreno. You're right. But what else can we do? That's a good question. I... Hey, wait a minute. What is it? This ashtray. See, what about it? Take a look. Just a couple of cigarette butts with lipstick and... Mitchell. Yeah. Flakes of tobacco and tiny balls of cigarette paper. Awesome. Brother, I said this deal had cost us a lot of time. That's just the way it was planned. Come on. check up on him and uncover a couple of very interesting facts, one of which sends us hightailing down to the waterfront. This is the place, Mitchell. Yeah. Pawson's lawyer said he owned that little cluster of fishing boats out there at the pier. Five will get you ten that he's on one of them right now, getting ready to shove off. You take one side, I will take the other. We split up. I work my way along the row of boats. They're all dark except for small deck lights. Then suddenly I spot somebody climbing aboard one of them. It's Mrs. Henderson. I slip aboard and grab her. Mitchell! But just then something hard connects with the back of my head. I go to my knees. Sorry, Mitchell. I've been standing out here on deck in the dark for several minutes waiting for Barbara. You know, Pawson, you're giving this head of mine a pretty rough go. First you crease it with a slug, then you massage it with a gun butt. Like I say, I'm sorry. All right, lean against the rail. You'll be okay. Yeah, thanks. I guess I will. You've been leading Moreno and me a merry chase in the deal. First, you hire Jose Diego to swear that he saw Carmody near the scene of Rhoda's murder. We find out that he couldn't have been. 
Then you hire your pal Barbara here to pose as Mrs. Henderson with a phony story about her husband. Sounds to me like you've been working for time. Right. 48 hours of it, to be exact. It's taken me that long to convert my Havana holdings to cash. Sure, I could have taken a potter right after I killed Rodas, but I had to leave broke. This way, I'm carrying about a hundred grand with me. Heading the smuggling ring must have been profitable. Oh, yes. You see, Mitchell, if I hadn't given you a bum steer right off the bat, you'd have probably concentrated more on the victim's background. You'd have discovered he used to work for me in the fishing fleet here. That probably would have gotten you interested in me right off the bat. I had to stall that off until I got my money. Oh, you did a pretty neat job of it, too. If it hadn't been for those crumpled cigarette papers in Barbara's room, I might never have tumbled. Oh, so that was it, huh? Oh, very careless of me. What are you waiting for, Parson? Kill him. Not here. It's too noisy. You're coming out with us on the boat, Mitchell. Oh, bully for me. Okay, let's get started. Hardly. I doubt if you came down here alone, Mitchell, your friend Marino must be around. If we start the boat now, he'll flash a warning to the harbor patrol. So we'll just stand here in the dark, nice and quiet, until he comes along. And we'll take care of him first. Really, senor? What? Watch out, Marino. I've got him. Oh! Sorry, Barbara, old girl, but you're not leaving. Let go. Oh, relax. You okay, Lieutenant? Yes, his shot was quite wild. And before I could return it, you had taken care of him quite effectively. Well, I sort of felt I owed him then. How'd Marina know you were on this boat, Mitchell? His signal told me. Signal? Sure. Boston gave the idea when he told me to lean on the rail. See that little black deck light beside it? I was passing my hand back and forth in front of it while I was talking to Forson. My body screamed it from you. I figured the flashing light would bring Marino. Which it did, in the nick of time. Yeah, I guess you might say you finally saw the light, huh? Our star, Brian Donlevy, will return in just a moment. What did you do for your country today? Stand guard at some lonely outpost? Stand watch on the cold, windswept bridge of a patrolling U.S. Navy destroyer? No, but you can still do your part to guard peace, the peace that is for the strong. Make today your D-Day. Buy an extra bond for defense. And then keep buying them regularly. There's no safer, surer investment than with United States defense bonds. And you build security not only for yourself, but your country, too, when you buy defense bonds. They serve to combine America's economic strength with its military strength. And it's this combined strength that protects your town, your home, your right to work and prosper in peace. And remember, if you don't save regularly, you generally don't save at all. So join the payroll savings plan where you work or sign up for the bond-a-month plan where you bank. Make today your D-Day. Buy defense bonds. Always remember, defense is your job, too. Next week, Turkey. I nominate myself for a slab in the morgue. And that will be Steve Mitchell's dangerous assignment next week. Included in tonight's cast were Harry Bartell, Tony Barrett, Nestor Piva, Herb Ellis, and Kay Stewart. This is John Storm speaking.
Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian John Doe and is produced and directed by Bill Karn. Be with us again next week at this same time when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another transcribed Dangerous Assignment. Tomorrow, hear both the Judy Canova Show and Truth or Consequences on NBC. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Dangerous Assignment. Transcribed starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though. Trouble, but... When I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to wind up with my life depending on a handful of ashes. Morning, Commissioner. You sent for me? Steve, I've just made an appointment for you to meet someone under the big clock at the railway station in Istanbul. A charming young lady? I should be so lucky. His name is Taven Drobo, a member of the Hungarian underground. He's going to point out someone to you, Steve, someone you're to follow. Oh, the charming young lady? A foreign agent, a man known as Mr. Alexander. Okay, Commissioner, no charming young ladies. What's it all about? Two days ago, a diplomatic file was stolen from our embassy in Rome. The file contained a secret survey on Europe's defense potential. Any idea who might have taken it? None, but we know where the file is. Oh, the person who has that file is waiting at a small resort town in the Black Sea, some 50 miles from Istanbul. Waiting? For the agent, Mr. Alexander, to show up and pick up the file. We got the tip from the Hungarian underground that Alexander's on his way there now. And they put Drobo on his trail to keep him in sight until I arrived? Right. You ought to meet him at the railroad station in Istanbul. He'll put the finger on Alexander. And it's vitally important we recover that file, Steve. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Tomorrow and every weekday, Monday through Friday, over most NBC stations, Bob Hope brings you a new series of daytime radio programs. Yes, the same Bob Hope you've grown to know and love during the past 15 years now invades the field of daytime radio. And ladies, 
Bob's new show is just what the doctor ordered to chase away your blues and add to your day's enjoyment. So make it a date to join Bob Hope tomorrow and every weekday, Monday through Friday on NBC. And with Bob is his sidekick, Bill Goodwin. And gracing the program is a special lady guest editor. Now, this week's guest editor is Zsa Zsa Gabor. So remember, it's the new daytime Bob Hope show, every day, Monday through Friday, on NBC. Sure, I've got my assignment. Get over to Istanbul and contact a man named Tevin Drobo, who's going to put the finger on a foreign agent for me. Then I'm supposed to follow that agent, and he leads me to the person who stole a diplomatic file from our embassy in Rome. It's as simple as that. Only, I've got a hunch it won't be. It never is. It's early Tuesday evening when my plane lands in Istanbul. I hustle right over to the railroad station, park myself under the big clock, and wait for Drobo. Then I spot a little gent in the crowd, eyeing me. He's wearing a gray fedora, long black coat with a velvet collar. He's carrying a small suitcase and an odd-looking umbrella. He throws a quick glance around the waiting room, and then he comes over. He could be Drobo. Uh, pardon me. May I trouble you for a light? Sure. Uh, care for a cigar? Uh, no, thanks. Here you are. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Hey, <laughs> strong little rascal, isn't it? Oh, excuse me. Uh, you are waiting for someone? I'm expecting a friend. A charming young lady, perhaps, eh? No, a gentleman from Budapest. Oh, uh, if you can spare a moment, I have something to show you of great interest, my friend. Lead on. Uh, do not follow me now. Wait until I have left the station. him as he glides through the crowd and eases out the front entrance. I stroll out after him into the street and spot him as he turns into a darkened doorway. When I reach him, he opens up the umbrella, only it turns out to be a tripod. He sets the suitcase on top of it, opens it, and he's ready for business. Now, allow me to introduce myself. I'm called Crazy Julius, the Mad Macedonian. Wristwatches, jewelry, lighters, cameras, and at such low prices, no wonder they call me crazy, huh? Oh, brother. Take, for instance, this exquisite watch, for example. When I tell you the price... It's all ridiculous. You're going to laugh in my face. Oh, look, Buster. Uh, Julius. Crazy Julius, call me. Now, here, this beautiful camera. I promise you do not get hysterical when I tell you the price. It's a promise, and good night. Uh, wait! Get your claws off my lapel. You're bending my good conduct ribbon. Uh, perhaps you are in the market for a set of automobile tires. How about a set of false teeth? Of course, I got them. You try them on. You'll need them if you don't let go of me as of right now. Oh, please, don't be so unfriendly. I... Uh, Excuse me. My lease has just expired. Mitchell? Yeah? I am Tevan Trobo. I happened to see you just as you were leaving the station. Who was that man? Just a peddler trying to make a fast sale. He gave me the come on back there at the station. I thought he was you. Mm. He seemed to be in a hurry. He spotted you coming towards us. Might have taken you for a plainclothes cop. Come, Mr. Mitchell. We had better get to the station. So, you're a drobo, huh? Here. These papers will identify me. Yeah. Okay, drobo. Where's our boy, Alexander? Yes, a few minutes ago. Yes, he was standing... No one there now. He's gone. 
Come on, let's get back outside. Any sign of him, Trouble? No. No, I don't see... Wait, yes. There he is, getting into that taxi. Okay, let's stay with him. We trail Alexander to a fashionable hotel. He gets room 305. I get room 312 at the end of the corridor. I leave my door open a crack and keep my eye on 305. Pretty soon, Alexander steps out into the hall, and then I hear a phone ringing. He steps back into his room, closes the door. I hurry down the corridor, stop just outside his room. Yes? Yes. What is that you say? I see. Very well, I will take care of this matter myself. I hear him slam down the receiver, and then his footsteps hurry toward the door. I can't get to my room in time, so I take three fast steps and ring for the elevator. Good evening. Oh, hello. I, I just rang for it. Oh, good. Beautiful evening out, huh? Shame to stay cooped up in one's room. Yeah, same idea occurred to me. Thought I'd take a little walk before hitting the sack. Hitting the sack? American, aren't you? That's right. You sound like USA yourself. Uh, not really. Although I spent many, many years in the States, I was raised there. Oh, really? Yeah, in New York City. 60th Street, just off Broadway. Oh, sure. Not far from Columbus Circle. Yeah, in Central Park. Had a lot of fun there as a kid. Later, we moved out to California. Los Angeles. <laughs> Correction. Los Angeles. Oh? Huh? Yeah, soft G. It's official now, so I heard. Chamber of Commerce took a voting or something. Uh, well, let's have a drink sometime, huh? Sure. Be good to talk over the good old USA. Well, good night. Good night. I see you have met a friend. Yeah, he almost caught me listening at his door, Drobo. He just got a phone call. Huh? Did you hear what he... No, I couldn't get any of the conversation. It might have been the tip-off, though. Hey, he just eased out the side door. Come on. We trail Alexander for several blocks. Then as we ease around the corner into a narrow, crooked street, he's suddenly nowhere in sight. Drobo and I turn on the gas. He must have turned into one of those houses along here. Yeah. Which one? Couldn't have gone very far. We're only... Hey, what was that? Over there, Mr. Mitchell. That gate has just closed shut. Yeah, he probably ducked in here. Looks like a courtyard. Careful, Mr. Mitchell. You stay parked right here. I'm going in. Across the courtyard, then up the steps to the first floor. I slip along the balcony overlooking the courtyard below. The dog's howl is the only sign of life around. I move up the stairs again, and then when I reach the second floor balcony, Alexander is waiting for me. I dive at his knees, and the slug whips past me. The gun goes off again close to my ear. I sink a right into his middle. He bounces away, but comes right back. This time, swinging a chair, I duck under. He staggers past me and slams into the rail. It doesn't hold. Are you all right, Mitchell? Yeah. What about Alexander? He's dead. Dead? Well, that does it, Drobo. There goes our one lead. One man who could have led us to the person with the missing file. Maybe there's something in his pocket. I'll have a look. What are we going to do now, Mr. Mitchell? I don't know. Here, his identification papers. Train ticket to the village, reservation at the inn. Pity he will not be able to keep his rendezvous. Wait a minute. 
Why not? Why shouldn't he keep his rendezvous? Huh? Mr. Alexander is going to show up at the inn after all, Drobo. But I don't understand. Thanks for joining Make us at 1001 Radio Days. Your home for the best of Golden Age Radio from Radio is King. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews and we hope new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe. Steve and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Well, then listen. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon. Save before you get a chance to spend. Yes, save automatically by purchasing United States defense bonds through the payroll savings plan where you work or the bond a month plan where you bank. Now, on the payroll savings plan, you can save as little or as much as you like. Yes, your employer automatically saves it for you each week. And then, as soon as there's enough, you receive your bond. It's as simple and painless as that. The bond-a-month plan at the bank works the same way. Each month, you automatically buy a bond, whatever denomination you choose. Now, one of these plans will fit your budget. And remember, today, defense bonds offer you more interest, a quicker return on your money. Yes, they're now even better. So invest more in defense bonds. Now, back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. You are going to take the dead man's place, Mitchell? Why not? Alexander could pass as an American any time. I've got his papers, and this looks like my best chance of getting that stolen file back. How far is it to the village where the inn is? It is up the coast of the Black Sea. A train leaves here in the morning and passes through the village around noon. I can't wait for that. I've got to get to the inn as soon as possible before anyone has a chance to find out that the real Alexander's dead. I'll have to see about a car. Speaking of a car. Yeah, that looks like the local law. I guess somebody reported the shots. Good. We'll need their cooperation. I show my credentials to the police officer and ask him to keep Alexander's death hushed up for the present. He arranges for a car, and Drobo and I head for the inn. We arrive about 8 a.m. The morning is chilly and gray. Nobody seems to be up but the host. And as he leads us up the stairs, we get the idea that he wishes he wasn't. Here you are, gentlemen. Your room. The best in the house. The only one with a fireplace. And such a magnificent view of the coast. Are we keeping you up? No, not for long. Business must be a little off, huh? Oh, so-so. Five guests, just enough. Perhaps you could tell us who they are so that we could uh, become acquainted sooner. Oh, of course, of course. Nice English couple whose name they is uh, Pemberton, a Signor Alfredo Montic from Rome, oh. a man named Coutrine, and a young lady, Niva Bratov. All very nice people. All very good sleepers, except one. Which one? The young lady. Yeah, you see out the window? Down there on the beach, in the bedding suit. Yeah, well, well. Will there be anything else? No, night, night. Night, thank you. Well, Mitchell? This Montic from Rome sounds kind of interesting. The file was stolen from our embassy there. What will be your first step? Oh, just circulate around among the guests and introduce myself as Mr. Alexander. See what happened. 
And as long as the girl seems to be the only one up, I think I'll ankle down to the beach and start with her. Hello. Oh, good morning. Pretty cold morning for a swim, isn't it? Oh, it's quite invigorating. And here's your towel. Oh, yes, thank you. Oh, yes, I find these morning swims very delightful. A good conditioner keeps me in excellent shape. Well, it's in excellent shape to keep. Oh, thank you. You see, I'm a dancer, and condition is most important to me. Are you staying here at the inn also? Yeah, I just arrived this morning. Oh, I'm Niva Bratov. My name is Alexander. Oh? Ah, here you are, my dear. Oh, oh Mr. Coutrine. And Mr. Alexander, our new arrival. Why, yeah. Uh, this is Mr. Coutrine, another guest at the inn. Oh, yeah? Hey, splendid, splendid. And delighted to make your acquaintance, sir. You're up earlier than usual this morning, Mr. Coutrine. Yeah, of course. I see that you have forgotten, my dear. Forgotten? You are to have breakfast with me. Oh, yes. And that is what I came down to tell you. They are serving now. Very well. Perhaps I shall see you later, Mr. Alexander. Yeah, sure, Miss Bratov. Back at the end, Drobo is still waiting for me in the room. We go downstairs to the dining room and look over the lot. The English couple are sitting at a table near the window watching the birds in a tree outside. The girl and Kutrin are at a corner table, but the other guest, Montique, is nowhere in sight. You say Kutrin addressed you as Mr. Alexander even before you were introduced? That's right, Drobo. Of course, our sleepy innkeeper could have mentioned the name to him. Or else he is the one with the file and was expecting Mr. Alexander's arrival. Yeah, could be as soon as he heard I was here, he hustled down to the beach only to find the girl there. Naturally, he could not say anything to you in her presence. Of course, it could be just the other way around, too. The girl? Yeah. After I told her my name was Alexander, I think she started to say something. But Katrina interrupted with his arrival. So, either of them could be the one. But the question is, which? Then there's still Montague. I wonder where he is. Perhaps he's a late sleeper. Huh? What now? Only one thing we can do. Go back to the room and wait for somebody to make a move. Quarter after 11. I don't like it, Drobo. We've been sitting up here ever since breakfast and nobody's made a move to contact me. Mitchell, look. Out the window. Huh? Hey, Neva walking along the road that leads to the beach. But she's not going for a swim. She's fully dressed. That road also leads towards the village, doesn't it? I believe so. Great. There is Coutrine, down there on the terrace. Mm, wandering off in the other direction, huh? Well, I'm not going to wait any longer. What are you going to do? Maybe I'm supposed to go to the one who's got the file instead of waiting for him or her to come to me. I might as well start with Montique. According to the register, he's got the room at the end of the hall. What will you say to him? I'll introduce myself and see if the name registers. If so, I'll tell him somebody's after me that I couldn't wait for him to come to me. Huh. Either a pretty sound sleeper or he's taken a powder. Hey, unlocked. Mitchell, hmm? they're on the floor. Yeah. Here, I'll turn them over. between the eyes. Funny, nobody heard the shot. Killer must have used a silencer. 
Is there anything in his pockets to identify him? Yeah. It's Montego, all right. Here's a stub of a train ticket for Rome. Okay, I guess we can assume that Montique's the one who had the file. Then who killed him and why? A partner, maybe. Somebody who wanted to make a better deal for the file. It must be either Coutrine or the girl. Yeah, and they both took off a couple of minutes ago in opposite directions. Look, you take the girl, I'll take Coutrine. Come on. Strobel goes in one direction, I go in the other. I pound along the road Kutrin took a few minutes before. Then I round a bend and spot him in front of me. He's kneeling beside a tree as if hiding something. I ease up behind him, but a twig cracks under my foot. Whoa, whoa, what is... Hello, Kutrin. Oh. Oh, Mr. Alexander. Yeah, Mr. Alexander. You startled me. What do you... Wait a minute. A little bird? Yes, yes. Apparently he fell out of the nest. I noticed him as I was walking by. Isn't he a cute little fellow, huh? Oh, great. Is something the matter? Skip it. What are you grinning at? Well, I, I must say you present quite a picture. <laughs> Glaring at me suspiciously with a dark streak across your forehead. Dark streak? Here, would you care to borrow my handkerchief? No, thanks. I've got one. I... Huh. Looks like soot. Where could I... You see? You see, you have some on your hand. You must have rubbed it across your forehead. Yeah, but how can I get soot on my hand? Hey, wait a minute. Hold everything. What? What's the matter? I think this whole deal just slid into place. I head back to the inn in Montique's room. Sure enough, there's a streak of soot on his sleeve. I go into my own room. The fireplace hearth is swept clean, too clean. I poke around in the ashes and charcoal, brush them aside. Then I spot what I'm looking for, a dark stain on the bricks. A blood stain, Mitchell. What? Please don't move. Well, hello, Drobo. From the look of that silencer on your gun, I'd say it was the one that you used to kill Montique. Quite right. Sure. Montique came to our room this morning to contact Mr. Alexander while I was down on the beach talking to the girl. You shot him and took the file. He fell against the fireplace here. You carried him back to his own room, but there was a streak of soot on his sleeve, which rubbed off on me when I turned him over. So that's how you know. Yeah. I remembered the innkeeper saying that ours was the only room with a fireplace. I was packing for the noon train when I saw you return. Fortunate for me that I did. So all this time you've just been playing along until you found out who had it, huh? Exactly. Now stand up and turn around slowly. Okay. How's this? <coughs> Sorry. Thanks for the gun. It'll come in handy as evidence. Also, thanks for the file. Sort of a dirty trick, throwing ashes in your eyes like that. You see, I still had a handful from uncovering the bloodstain in the fireplace, so I figured one good streak in the face deserves another. Matter of fact, I guess you might say that all through the deal, my luck's been running in streaks. star, Brian Donlevy, will return in just a moment. Tuesday night is comedy night on the NBC radio network. Yes, here you'll find such laugh-packed programs as the Red Skelton Show, the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis Show, and Fibber McGee and Molly, each with more than its share of comedy material for you. Yes, Dean and Jerry, those madcap comedy characters, provide 30 zany minutes of mirth and madness. And everyone loves Red Skelton, the clown of clowns, as he portrays such characters as Junior the Mean Little Kid, Willie Lump Lump, and Cauliflower McPug. Bill McGee and Molly are another pair of top comedians on your Tuesday night entertainment calendar. 
So just set your dial to the NBC spot, and you'll be whisked to 79 Wistful Vista, where Fibber and Molly are sure to find more comedy situations to tickle your funny bone and keep you chuckling for 30 short minutes. Yes, make NBC your comedy headquarters every Tuesday night with these three great shows. Fibber McGee and Molly, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, and Red Skelton. Remember, they're all yours for the listening on the NBC Radio Network. Next week, Germany. And I arrange to get run over by a truck. That will be Steve Mitchell's dangerous assignment next week. Included in tonight's cast were Paul Fries, Harry Bartell, Herb Ellis, Jeannie Bates, and Tony Barrett. This is John Storm speaking. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Dunleavy as Steve Mitchell with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian John Doe and is directed by Bill Karn. Be with us again next week at this same time when Brian Dunleavy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another transcribed Dangerous Assignment. Always listen for the familiar three NBC chimes. They're your invitation to fine radio entertainment. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of golden age radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.